So Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 13. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ... We, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully." Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love, honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, My name's James. I'm the pastor here. Um, It's great to be here. If you're here for the first time, welcome. Um, I'd love to get to know you after the service. Um, Grab your Bibles. You're going to need them open um, as we look at Romans chapter 13. What we're going to be doing over the next four weeks is we're starting a new sermon series uh, called The Gospel Ripple and how the gospel has transformed our lives, but it actually has this ripple effect in our lives. It changes the way we view our world, the way we view ourselves and how we, as followers of Christ, worship Him. And so we're going to be having a topical series. Our bread and butter generally is expository preaching, which is we grab a book of the Bible and we work from front to back. We, we generally go chapter by chapter by verse by verse. But over the next four weeks, we're just going to take a bit of a break and we're going to be looking at a, at a topic called hospitality this week. Next week, we're going to be looking at community. Then we're going to be looking at generosity. And then we're going to be looking at what it means to serve as well. So grab your Bibles, leave them there at Romans chapter 13. Sorry, chapter 12. I'm jumping ahead. Not that we're actually looking at Romans 13. We're looking at Romans chapter 12, verse 13. We're actually looking at basically two words today. So let's pray and ask God to help us this morning. Father God, we are so grateful for your word that's living and active. Father, expose us. um, Expose the depths of our heart. Reveal the splendor of the gospel. And give us faith to see, so that our lives are transformed by the life, death and resurrection of Christ. We've been set free from the law. And Father, help us to live lives that worship you. And, and, and Lord, imagine the impact that that would have in the surrounding suburbs of Turngabi. And we ask that you work mightily this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. It was, it was 1997 and Rosaria Butterfield, she was sitting in her red Isuzu truck outside the house of a pastor. And, and she sat in this red Isuzu truck 
that it was filled with bumper stickers. One of those bumper stickers was the NARAL, which stands for National Abortion Rights Action League. She had other decals on there. She had lesbian decals because, see, Rosaria Butterfield was a lesbian activist. She was a lesbian feminist. She was a university lecturer. She was a leader in the LGBTQI movement. She was a recent co-author. She was, no, she was coming to be known as a new radical in her area. And here she is sitting in her red Isuzu truck and she writes this. She says, Christians seemed like a small-minded, uncharitable, immoral bunch. They eat meat, believed in corporal punishment, violated human and environmental rights at fevered pitch. They denied a woman's right to choose and believe that the world should fall under totalitarian obedience to the Bible. An ancient book fraught with racism, sexism and homophobia, but mostly Christians just scared me to death. Our worldviews and the moral lens we use to make sense of things were, they're unbridgeable. We can't bridge that. Why Christians would not leave consenting adults alone to flourish and be joyful was beyond me. So I sat in my truck in the driveway of this Christian home, musing about the book I was writing on religious rights, their policies, practices and narratives of hatred towards people like me. She saw herself sitting in this driveway thinking to herself, well, here's a project for me. Here's a research moment for my new book that I'm going to write. I, I wonder, maybe you're here today, and maybe you're, you're a bit like Rosaria sitting in that truck, in that driveway, and you're here, not a Christian, and you think to yourself, yeah, I, I can see what she says. Well, I'm actually really glad you're here today because this is a great place for you to ask questions, and it's wonderful that you're here to learn more about who Jesus is. Or maybe you're on the other side, you're, you're a Christian here, you're a follower of Jesus, and you think to yourself, we do live in polarising times. We live in a time where things are so radically different from what I'm so comfortable with. Everything appears different. There's different beliefs, different politics, different interests. Maybe you feel like we live in a hostile environment. And so how do we, as followers of Christ, who have been transformed... How do we live out in that kind of world? How do we live out our lives as followers of Jesus? Maybe your, your action at the moment is, well, maybe if I just batter down the hatches, lock the door, set the alarm, find like-minding people who are on the same political page, who give me a pat on the back to make me feel like I've got the whole world together, maybe that's my answer. We're going to be starting a new series called The Gospel Ripple. See, the gospel radically changes you so that you look radically different. The gospel radically changes you so that you look radically different. It's a, it's a gift that keeps on giving. See, the gospel isn't something that you've received once and you move on with your life. No, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, as you receive the good news of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, continue to stand in it. The gospel isn't something from back in the past, but it's actually something for now, for you today, and changes how we live. It affects us. 
It has this ripple effect through our life. It has a ripple effect in the way that we use our finance. It has a ripple effect in the way that we see community. It has a ripple effect in the way that you serve. And, and it actually has a ripple effect in the way that you love the stranger. It affects the things of our life. We have 168 hours in a week. For one third of that we sleep. Probably for another third we work. And another third where we do whatever we want. Sport, Netflix, Disney+, Plus, eating, whatever it is. We have all this time in, in our world and what do we do with it? And what we're going to see over the next couple of weeks is the gospel interrupts our lives. It will interrupt your life. And today we're looking at gospel hospitality. Hospitality. Grab your Bibles and we're going to have a look at Romans chapter 12. See, as we get to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, have a look there. It says, therefore. Now that therefore means we need to just slow up for a moment and think about therefore in light of everything that's gone before. What's Paul saying here? He's saying, therefore, in light of Romans chapter 1 to chapter 11, in light of that. Now, Romans chapter 1 to 11 is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's jam-packed. It's a Mount Everest view of the gospel. It reminds us that all of us stand condemned before God. It reminds us of the wrath that each one of us deserved to face. It, it, it goes through the religious people. It goes through those who are not religious. And Paul proves to us that all of us, are, we stand condemned. There is no one righteous. We, we hear about justification, that, that Christ's righteousness is given to us. We hear about sanctification. We hear about, in Romans chapter 8, how the Spirit sets us free and the Spirit is at work in our lives. And so we have this jam-packed 11 chapters of the good news of Jesus and therefore, he says, here's how we live. Therefore, in verse 1, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. What he's saying? In view of chapters 1 to 11, in view of God's grace, in view of God's gospel, offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. See, what we're going to see in Romans chapter 12, if you go and read it all the way through, we're going to see here's what it means to worship. Here's a life transformed by the good news of Jesus. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. See, what he's saying there is once you understand how depraved you are in your sin, once you understand who you really are, none of us can boast. None of us can think more highly than we are other people. But consider yourself who you are, who you were, but now who you are, that you've been justified as well. And get to verse 9. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. In verse 11, there's this, this outward action of zeal. Verse 12, be joyful in hope. Do you notice the next verse? It doesn't say that once you become a Christian, you're going to get no affliction. It actually says be patient in affliction. We can be patient in affliction because of the gospel. Share with the Lord's people. Share with them in need. And look at those next couple of words. There's two words that says practice hospitality. That's what we're looking at. We're looking at gospel hospitality. See, hospitality is love of stranger. If you go back to verse 10 for a moment, it's be devoted to one another. That's be devoted. It's brotherly love. The, the Greek word there is Philadelphia. It's two words. It's love of brother. But here we have another word, philo exnia, which is love of stranger. See, hospitality is love of a foreigner, love of a stranger, someone who is different 
and who stands out. Have you ever been that moment where you've gone to school for the first time as a 14-year-old and you're stepping into a new school, you know no one, and you feel like a stranger? You feel like everyone is watching you and analysing everything about you and, you and you hem yourself in. Maybe the first time you went to a church and you walk through the doors, you know that feeling of being a stranger where you feel like everyone's watching me and doing, like, who is this person? And you feel out of place. That first day at university where you don't know the thousands of students around you and you feel like a stranger. Or maybe even you know that feeling that as you have migrated to Australia... You've come from another country and your first week in Australia, as you learn the culture, you go to the Westfields, you just feel like a stranger. Hospitality is the love of strangers. It's, that means it's going to be people with different political allegiances to you. Different views on sexuality. Different views on religion, different views on their hairstyle and their haircut and what they wear and what they eat. See, gospel hospitality isn't you getting together on a Friday night with your friends around the wood-fired pizza oven and just inviting family and friends over for a meal. Gospel hospitality is showing love to someone you barely know. And so what kind of role is it to play in our lives that have been transformed by the good news of Jesus? How central is it to be in our life? Is, is, is gospel hospitality just something that arises in front of us, that someone comes knocking on your door? Is it something that when you're down the street and just, just happens to walk into you? Have a look again at verse 13. We've got hospitality, but there's a, there's a participle here. There's a, there's a doing word. It's called practice. Practice hospitality. Oh, I don't know about you, but when I, I think of practice there, I, I picture you know, the 10-year-old daughter who's told, you need to get piano lessons, and so they sit down once a week and they play the piano. Practice. Or the 16-year-old teenage boy who's going to play cricket on Saturday and, and goes down to the nets once a week just to practice for a social game of cricket on a Saturday. That's what I picture of practice. But actually, this, this word practice in the Greek, it's... it's it's actually to pursue. It's to move rapidly and decisively towards an object. It's to press on. It's to run. Have a look how Paul uses this word in Philippians 3 verse 14. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. There's this pursuit of it. It's, it's more actually like you know, the 10-year-old who wants to be the next Chopin and so she practices day and night because she wants to pursue that. It's like the 16-year-old teenage boy who goes, I want to be the next captain of the test side for Australia in cricket who goes down and they pursue practicing day and night. See, here it is, it's to pursue hospitality. We... We tell teenagers to pursue sexual fidelity. Now, that's a good thing, right? We, we tell each other to, to pursue slow to anger. We, we, we have the virtue of being patient, integrity. We have these things in our life that we go and we high, high, hold up high and go, here as Christians, this is what we need to be. Is hospitality ever up there with it? 
It's interesting, like, now you'll know why it was on Facebook this week. We did a poll on Facebook this week. Wrote a variety of things like loving others, you know, integrity, forgiving others. You know, what, what do we chase? Now, still some really good answers. But guess which one was never ticked? Hospitality. And yet, as we read the New Testament, as we read Paul's writings, you get to the book of Hebrews, where Hebrews is all about how great Jesus is. That he is greater. In chapter 12, we have a beautiful chapter about how we can worship. Then you get to chapter 13, and guess what chapter 13 is all about? Here's what it means to worship during the week. And guess what comes up in verse 2? Hospitality. Here in Romans, we've got Romans 12 to 16, about here is a life transformed by God's grace. And we get to verse 13, and it's got hospitality. It's actually something that is to be central to our lives. It's so central that one of the qualifications for an elder is hospitality. Why? I wonder. It's central, and I think it's central because it's a really important thing because hospitality is a picture of the gospel. Because we love the outsider because we were the outsider. You see that? We love the outsider because we were the outsider. See, from the front to the back of the Bible, we have hospitality. In Genesis, we're, we're in relationship with God, with perfect harmony with Him. We're, we're there with Him in the garden. Adam and Eve go in Genesis 3, stuff you, God, I know better. You know, we do it all the time, don't we? We think, I've got a better choice. I know better than trusting your word, God. And so Adam and Eve sin, right? And what happens? They're kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And they become strangers and exiles to God. In their sin, they can no longer have a relationship with God. And guess what the rest of the Bible is about? It's about restoring God's plan of redemption through His Son. And we see that through the Old Testament. We see that as we come to the Gospels about how God... How Jesus loved the outsider and he broke into our world in a manger and through his life, death and resurrection, you and me who were the outsider can now become friends with God. And isn't it amazing that in Revelation 21, that the end of the Bible we finish with a banquet where you and me who were once strangers, exiles, under the wrath of God, who have been rescued by Jesus now can sit at the wedding supper of the Lamb. We love the outsider because we were once the outsider. So here's, here's my quick definition of hospitality for us today. It'll come up on the screen. Here's what hospitality It's showing love to the stranger by inviting them into your life and treating them like family. It is showing love to the stranger by inviting them into your life and treating them like family. Gospel hospitality. But I, I thought it would be really just good just for a moment to think about hospitality. And, and I, I think there'll be people in the room who struggle with it, may not do it. There'll be others who have hospitality, they have people in their homes all the time or they love the stranger. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to push into both camps for a moment. Because I want to talk about maybe some of the reasons why we may not show love of stranger by inviting people into our life and treating them like family. Here's why we don't pursue it. 
And as we understand why, as we, our heart's convicted, we actually need to refresh ourselves with the good news of Jesus. Here's a couple of reasons why I think I sometimes struggle not to pursue it. Because remember, it's pursuit of hospitality. It's not something that's just happens occasionally. It's something we pursue. Here's a couple of reasons. Personal comfort and ease. Get in the road. Sometimes our priorities and aspirations are there because pursuing hospitality is not going to get us to where we want to get to in life, in business or in family life. Or, or another reason maybe you struggle with loving the strangers because you feel that the world is hostile towards you. And I think some of the reactions that we can do that as we hear the world news, as we hear what's going on in other states of Australia as Christians, or we think about what's going to happen, there's a couple of reactions we can do. We can go, that's too hard. I'm going to batter down my hatches. I'm going to put alarms out. I'm going to put video cameras out and just sit back and wait for Jesus' return. Or you sit back just hoping that the right political leader will get in so that your life can be more comfortable. That can be a reason why we don't do it, isn't it? Because it's just personal comfort and ease gets in the road. But as some may not pursue hospitality, I want to also actually say that we can pursue hospitality with the wrong motives as well. We can actually pursue it for the wrong reasons. I want to ask the question, if you do show hospitality, why do you show it? Do you show it because it's just family pressure? Maybe it's you need to live up to the family name and if you don't show hospitality, you will bring shame to your family. Sometimes we show hospitality because of pride. Oh, I've grown up in Baptist churches for a long time. You have those potluck lunches. You know, the Baptist, I don't know whether you have it in Sydney, but in the country, like, the food gets laid on. But sometimes it's just a cook-off that strokes the egos of those who are cooking. The best sponges come out, don't they? The best curry, the best chicken dish. They just, they just all come out and we share recipes. Now that's good, isn't it? But sometimes I want to, why do we go to so much effort? Because sometimes we show hospitality because of pride, because of shame, feel like that you have to do it. And actually what we're actually doing in that moment is we're not actually showing love of stranger, but love of pride. That I'm so good at great food, or I'm so good at helping people in need. But see, gospel hospitality is not like that. It's not where we don't like the comfort. We want, we want our comfort and ease. Gospel hospitality isn't that we show hospitality for our pride and so that we look good and we're great at it. No, no, gospel hospitality comes from a transformed heart. See, in Acts chapter 16, Paul and some other men, they're, they're heading off on a missionary journey. They want to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, go to Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends. And here Paul ends up in a city called Philippi. He turns up there and he pursues, he goes outside the city gates. He goes outside to where some people are praying and he meets a woman called Lydia who deals in purple cloth. Now she's wealthy. She's probably got an estate. She's well to do because she's selling in purple cloth. And he preaches the gospel and what does God do? Go and have a look at Acts chapter 16 later on. God opens her heart. God opens her heart to the message of the gospel her life's transformed but there's something else that's really interesting 
As her heart is opened up, she says to Paul and them, why don't you come and stay with me? They're love a stranger. Come and stay with me. But then at the end of the verse, there's some really interesting details. She persuaded them. You see, she, she pursued it. See, her heart's been opened up to the good news of Jesus. Love a stranger. See, hospitality is showing love to a stranger by inviting them into your life and treating them like family. But as we do that, as we show gospel hospitality, do you understand that it's countercultural, right? Because either we don't show hospitality because of comfort, or the other reason we can often show hospitality is because of pride. But gospel hospitality is actually countercultural. Let's have a look. It's countercultural to our setting. Last year, I read a, 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 a comment on Facebook by someone. Here's what it said. The older I get, the more I realise I don't want to be around drama, conflict and stress. I want a cosy home, good food and to be surrounded by happy people. It's, warm, it's just a warm and cosy expression, isn't it? It's just it's nice. I, I don't know. How many of you have ever... There's, there's this famous movie in Australia called The Castle. If you don't know it, you better go and see it. You know, Dad reckons fishing is 10% brains and 95% muscle and the rest is just good luck. Tell them, Daryl, tell them they're dreaming. Daryl says, isn't it, he says, it's not a house, it's a home. A man's home is his castle. That's the Australian dream, isn't it? But in light of the gospel, we are stewards of what God has given us and we are ambassadors for Christ. We love the outsider because we were once the outsider. Rosaria Butterfield says, your home is not your castle. It's actually God's embassy. I wonder, how do you view your home? Do you, do you view it to be used for kingdom work or for your own privacy and comfort? Now, something that's really interesting about Australian culture is that the way we design our homes, the way we design our blocks, are actually saying to people we want privacy and we want comfort. We put alarms up. We put cameras up. We put a guard dog. We have a fence. But guess what kind of fence we have these days? We have a colourbond fence that you can't even see through. And it's about this high. Or if you've got a swimming pool, it's got to be about this high. And what it's doing, without us even realising it, speaking to the world around us, sorry, this is our place. Can you please stay down? It was interesting, when we were living at Forbes, for, for 12 months we rented. We were living in this old house that had been renovated. On one side we had colourbond. On the other side, we just had some wire. And it's actually really interesting to see what that spoke. Because guess what happened most days? My boys would go to the fence and talk to the neighbours. Now, they didn't go to the other fence because they can't see it. Because it, it actually gives permission to come and say hello. Now, I don't know how we're going to get around colourbond fences because you need them, right? 
But isn't it interesting the way that our lifestyle is? We're going, we want comfort, we want privacy, we want our own world. But have a look at this quote. I'm going to put a quote up on the screen by Rosaria Butterfield. She says, radically, radically ordinary hospitality is this. Using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbours and neighbours family of God. It brings glory to God, serves others and lives out the gospel in word and deed. So the gospel radically changes you so you look radically different. Where the world says my home is my castle, don't come any closer unless you're friends and families and it's a convenient, we show love to the stranger by inviting them into our lives and treating them like family. Now you might be here today as we're talking about gospel hospitality and you're not a follower of Jesus. So here's why it's countercultural: gospel hospitality. It's love of a stranger who's done nothing. So if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, God isn't saying, come and pursue me and do all these good things. Don't, he's, God's not saying, go and be the great at hospitality and then you can come into the family of God. God isn't saying to you today, go and join a club and buy this and pay membership and then you can become into the family of God. No, God says, you're a stranger. I've paved the way through my son, Jesus. And you can have that today. But here's something to think about as Christians. If you're a follower of Christ, we far, when we don't show hospitality, we're actually telling strangers a lie. We are telling them that God is distant and removed and not in relationship. But when we show gospel hospitality, we are representing God to this world. Now, that quote that I read from Facebook, I'm going to read it again. Because it's not that one. It's all right, Craig. It's a different one. (laughs) It actually came from a Christian. The older I get, the more I realise I don't want to be around drama, conflict and stress. I want a cosy home, good food and to be surrounded by happy people. Now, that broke my heart when I heard that. Imagine if God thought that. I don't want to be around drama, conflict and stress. I want a cosy palace and I want to be surrounded by happy people. Imagine if God thought that. Jesus would never have come. Because we're grumpy people, sinful people. Conflict people, stressed people. And yet God gave up his heavenly palace and loved the stranger and came into this world and died on a cross. We live messy lives. That's countercultural, isn't it? See, gospel hospitality is countercultural because it interrupts your life. It interrupts your life. So it interrupts your life like that pesky telemarketer that rings you that wants to sell you solar. That pesky telemarketer that rings you up at 6.30 when you're trying to feed the kids and they want to sell you something about super or bring your super together. Oh, it just frustrates me. It's just they interrupt your life. 
How dare you do it? But we love the outsider because we were once the outsider. Showing love to a stranger by inviting them into our life and treating them like family, it will interrupt your life. See, it's scattered throughout the Old Testament. I'm going to read to you from the book of Leviticus. From the book of Leviticus in chapter 19, God's talking to his people. And it says this in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 33. When a foreigner, when a stranger resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner or the stranger residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself. Here's why. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I'm the Lord your God. See, we love the stranger because we were once the stranger. It, it, it affects how we view the world. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to talk about it on three levels. Here's the first one. I'm going to talk about it on street level. How, how gospel hospitality just affects you when you're down the street or at the soccer field. It just, how, what does it look like? It, it, it interrupts our lives on street level when you're at the shops, when you're in the car park, when you're at the footy field watching your kids. It affects you while you're playing golf or whatever it may be. It interrupts you on street level. A couple of years ago when we were at Bible college, we had one kid. Uh, you know, it's like having kids if you do. It's tiring, exhausting. And, and, and this young lady at college said, hey, I'll come and watch your child for the night. This is great. So I could take my lovely wife out for a romantic dinner. Um, they watched, watched Harvey. And they said, go out. It's like set. They said, you can, be, you can be out till 11 o'clock at night. So we left like at 6.30. We're pumped. We head out to this cafe in Canada Bay. We have a great meal. We have great coffee, great company. And we're enjoying the night. It gets to about 8 o'clock. We pay the bill. And I say to Al, let's go down to minus 18 in Canada Bay. Beautiful gelato. I reckon some of the best gelato. Not almost the best gelato in Sydney. And we're going to go down there and spend the next three hours just gazing into each other's eyes and being romantic, of course. And as we're walking down the street, our lives are interrupted. Mate, we've, we've had sleepless nights. Kids are, one kid's great, you know, and I was like, oh, we're so free. And this lady walks up to me and says, excuse me, sir, could I use your phone? And I said, yeah, what do you want to do with my phone? I want to ring a friend. And I said, okay, what do you want to ring a friend? She, she, and she was, she was wet from the waist down. And obviously there's some mental health concerns there. And she said, I've just got to ring a friend. I've just tried to kill myself. Oh, man. So we talked to a friend on the phone and said, hey, she's here. And she said, I'll come and pick her up. I said, she wants you to come and pick her up. And she said, oh, yeah, I'll come and pick her up. I'll come and pick her up. An hour later, there's no sign of him. And I'm thinking, man, you know, sometimes it could have been easy just to sit there and go, I just want to get to dessert. And so for the next two hours, we sat there with her, told her the gospel, prayed with her, interrupted our lives as the police and the ambulance came to take her away for help. So it, it interrupts you on street level. It may interrupt you with the elderly person in the car park who you need to go and help take their trolley to the car with their food. It may interrupt you that you can give them a bat, you know, jump start with their car. Maybe they've got a flat tyre, maybe you can change it, or maybe as you wait for the NRMA, you go and buy them some bottled water and bring it back to them. That interrupts you on street level. It may up interrupt you at football or wherever it might be. 
but also it interrupts you on the home level. It interrupts you at the home level in your home. See, in Genesis 18, there's this beautiful passage about Abraham and, and he has visitors and he shows hospitality. We're to, we're to show it in our homes as well, to love of stranger. But when we show love of stranger, it's really vulnerable, isn't it? We become very exposed when we open up our homes. But something that's really interesting in Leviticus and in Exodus, where, Jesus, where God says to the people, he says, you know, show love to the stranger. Do you notice he doesn't say, clean your house up first, go and kill the fattened calf, get, and make your house look really good? He just says, love the stranger. See, when we open up our homes, people see us for who we really are. And if you're a parent, they'll see you get annoyed with your kids. They'll see you get impatient with them. They're going to see that you're unorganised and your house is a mess. Opening our homes up is exposing. My wife was in, in Europe last year and, and she went to England and she went to a Baptist church there and they showed hospitality. So love a stranger. They invited her in her home. Now, there's this couple, Chippo and Emily, who write a blog and they say that they strategically plan it. See, if you don't strategically plan to show and pursue hospitality, you never will do it. But once a month, they lock in their calendar a thing called discussion meals, where they would invite friends over for a meal. They'd be strategic about it. And about a week out, they would send out a question to those people. Because what they'd do is they'd share a meal together and discuss things. Here's some of the questions. Is the world getting better? Interesting question. Now, would you, be, would you be brave enough to ask the question, should voluntary euthanasia be legalised? That's one of their questions. A Christian couple who just put on their calendar. Now, here's one way, men or wives, here's one way to freak your wife out today or wives to freak out your husband. Invite someone home after church today and let them see all the dirty washing scattered across the lounge room floor instead of being locked away in that closed room. It's okay. And it's okay to serve two-minute noodles. Some of our best conversations over meals have been when someone has just come knocking on our door to talk about something and we just say, you know what, would you like to stay to tea? We're having toasted sandwiches. I don't think I've ever had someone say no. And, or, or maybe, you know, maybe you're elderly and you can't do it. For those who can do it, why don't you invite that person over and then tell them to bring a friend? Bring a stranger that you don't know. But here it is on a church level. Let's think about it from a church level, gospel hospitality. Oh, I think it's actually really great for us to think about this as we, you know, the single mum who walks through the door and she's got three little terrors hanging off her and she's thinking, what am I going to do? And you see her with the white back. What do you do? You love the stranger and you go over to her and help her. And you say, hey, can you come? We'll take you and we'll get your kids placed into kids' church. Here's where the cry room is. Here's where this is. And then say, hey, you know what? Why don't you come and sit with me in church if you feel comfortable? That's the love of stranger, isn't it? To see that and go, they've come for the first time. They feel like a stranger. That's one of the ways we can love them. It's to... It's to love the young couple who walk through the door and they've got one of these white packs. And you say to them, hey, why don't you come and sit with me today in church? 
or to see them sitting on their own and you go, you go, well, I'm not going to go and sit in my usual seat. I'm going to go and sit with them and love them by treating them like family. Or maybe as we're having morning tea, as we, now dare I say it, we get in our holy huddles. What do we do? If we see someone standing by themselves with a white bag or see anyone standing by, what do we do? We go, excuse me, we're going to go, I'm just going to go and say hi to them. It's love of stranger, isn't it? Love of stranger by inviting them into our lives and treating them like family. Gospel hospitality. But that kind of hospitality, guess what it does? It interrupts your life. It interrupts your budget, your costs, your time, energy, money, and it means you will forgo things that you want to do. It may mean you forgo having the perfectly clean house. Maybe you may forgo having the perfectly finance retirement. Maybe it means that your kids cannot play sports seven days a week and get music lessons as well. Maybe it means you forgo designer clothes or the latest gadget or toy. Because gospel hospitality, it's showing love to a stranger by inviting them into your life and treating them like family. I'm going to read a, read a section from Rosaria Butterfield from her experience. And here it is in page. I'm going to read from a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. This is what she said. How on earth did I get here parked in the driveway of the enemy, you might ask? The nice Christians who invited me to dinner intrigued me. The pastor, Ken Smith, wrote to me regarding an op-ed I had published in the Post Standard. In it, I opposed the Christian men's movement for their backward and misogynist gender politics and their threat against democracy. I've always read all my hate mail, call me a misogynist, and I've come to the conclusion that Ken's letter of opposition was the kindest one I'd ever received. I also like the fact that Ken had the right pedigree to help me with my research. When Ken and his wife Flo invited me to dinner, I said yes, my motives were clear. My potential unpaid research assistant. I breathed hard, hoisted myself out of the truck. Nursing a tender hamstring from my morning run, I waded through the unusual thick July humidity to the front door and I knocked. Nothing about that night unfolded according to my confidence script. Nothing happened in the way I expected. Not that night or the years after or the hundreds of meals after or the long nights of psalm singing and prayer as other believers from the church and university just walked through their doors of this house as if no one, as if no door was there. Nothing prepared me for this openness and truth. Nothing prepared me for the unstoppable gospel and for the love of Jesus made manifest by the daily practice of hospitality undertaken in this one simple Christian home. This Christian home became my two-year refuge and way station. Long before I ever walked through the doors of the church, the Smith family, the Smith home was the place where I wrestled with the Bible, with the reality that Jesus is who he says he is, and eventually came to face-to-face with him on the glittering knife edge of my choice of sexual sin. This Christian home was where I wrestled with my sexual identity and where I first dared to ask the question, is being a lesbian who I really am? Or is it just how the fall of Adam made me? See, 
Rosaria is now married with kids and her husband's a pastor. See, gospel hospitality. Isn't it worth it? That people can experience God through you. Isn't it worth it to forgo a night a week to see someone find Christ? To give up long hours at work for your own gain to have people turn from their old way of life to a new way of life. To give up that extra holiday a year just so you can have a neighbour over every week. Why? Because we have a rich and generous God who gave up all so we could show hospitality to us, the stranger. We love the outsider because we were once the outsider. Imagine the impact the ripple effect that that would have here in this suburb and the surrounding suburbs of Sydney. Gospel hospitality of showing love to the stranger by inviting them into your life and treating them like family. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are or you are loving, abounding in love, slow to anger. And yet, Father, in our rebellion and our walk from you, we were strangers. We were aliens and enemies of you. And yet, through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, you have made a way. You have brought us back to yourself to be in relationship with you. Father, may the gospel ring true in our life. May we know it more deeply. Father, may we know the reality of the depths of our sin. May we grow in that depth every day so that we see the beauty and the wonder of what Christ has achieved on the cross. Father, help us to love the stranger. Father, help us to um, open up our homes, to open up our lives, to be willing to be interrupted and to be countercultural in this world that is so far lost. Father, help us, we pray. And we want to do this, Father, for your glory and for your glory alone. Amen.